what I love about that strategy is yes, it's picture walk, but it's really using it thoughtfully for language learners because now everybody's engaged, everybody's speaking. It's yeah, I love that. It takes it to a whole new level, which I will definitely do. How can we pique students' interest in reading and books, support their comprehension, and extend their thinking? In this episode, we will explore our favorite pre-reading, during-reading, and post-reading strategies that are high-value, high-yield for the second language classroom, and we'll also share some of our favorite resources with you. Welcome to We Teach French with your hosts, Kelly Burt and Ingrid Veilleux. We are two podcasters on a learning adventure in French immersion. In each episode, we dive into a different topic in French immersion. Thank you for joining us. I just finished a fabulous book. So did I. Tell me about what you just finished. We heard the author speak at the school district conference in February, Tanya Talaga. And the book is called Seven Fallen Feathers. Such a compelling and important book. And I would recommend it to any of our listeners if you want to understand uh, Canada, our relationship with Indigenous people, and how we like to think of ourselves as this beacon of democracy and all things good. And there are serious systemic problems. And so it's the story of seven um, children, seven teenagers, who left their northern Ontario communities to continue high school in Ontario in Thunder Bay. And all seven of them in different circumstances died, including many of them apparently drowning apparently accidentally, in a river in Thunder Bay. It is really well written. It, it, I was engaged the whole time. I thought it was an amazing book. Thank you for the recommend. Mm-hmm. I have not read that one. I just finished this week reading A Tale for the Time Being. Oh. By Ruth Ozeki. Oh. She is a novelist, a filmmaker, and a Zen Buddhist priest. Oh, and sorry, the title, A Tale. A Tale for the Time Being. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. It was recommended to me by a colleague. I happened to see a colleague reading it, and I said, what's that you're reading? Because I love to read. She told me, and I don't know how far she was into the book, but I went and got it out of the library, and I couldn't put it down, and... I'm just so impressed with her writing. She's American-Canadian, and the story takes place on a small island off the coast of British Columbia, where the main character, Ruth, and her husband are living. But then Ruth finds on the beach on this island, washed up, is a diary from a teenaged girl in Japan. Ooh, that's interesting. And so the story takes place with this young girl now in Japan and Ruth in Canada. But the way she tells the story, changing, shifting the narration and shifting perspective from now telling the story in her diary to Ruth telling the story, I can't believe how authentically she got the voice of a teenage Japanese girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, mm-hmm. it was an excellent book. And so now she does have a new book out called The Book of Form and Emptiness. And I do have that oh. on hold. So I'm looking forward to reading that soon. 
Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we shouldn't underestimate with fiction, although the book I was talking about was nonfiction, but yours was fiction, mm-hmm. is through a work of fiction, you can learn so much about truths, about human nature, and we ask ourselves, why does evil exist in the world, or how could someone be compelled to behave in a certain way? It Fiction can help us understand different worldviews, different perspectives, and to make sense of our world. Today, we're going to talk about reading, and... Um, reading in the classroom and strategies that good readers use and strategies that teachers can use to um, support our students' reading. Mm-hmm. And every teacher, arguably, is a reading teacher. Absolutely. Because unless you are conveying all of the information orally, there's going to be some reading component to every subject area. Mm-hmm. And I think um, in late French immersion, and perhaps our colleagues in French immersion, early French immersion, have this same challenge. One of the first things before we even talk about reading is text selection, like picking, mm-hmm. picking the reading that you're going to do. So, of course, students will choose their own books. Uh, but when I'm selecting a text that I want to explore in class with the students... It is a challenge in late French immersion to select something that is going to work. Mm -hmm. Because at the age from 10, 11, 12 years old, interests are different than when you're five or six years old. And um, it can be difficult selecting a text that has just right fit in terms of complexity of the reading, but then the interest is there. So whenever I'm selecting a text, I'm always thinking about the importance of comprehensible input for my students. I want it slightly beyond their current level of competence, but not too difficult that they give up or it is nonsensical to them. Um, And you want to also think about when I'm selecting a text, I I do, um, is this something that's going to provide opportunities for using the language and does it have a meaningful purpose? So a lot has to go into the planning of reading in the classroom. And the other thing I do consider as well for my students are visual supports in the text. So I know we talk about text features and how pages are set up and titles and organizers and sidebars and those kinds of things that give you information. But I find for students learning an additional language, visual supports are so helpful. Uh, So graphic novels, I do really like to use um, picture books. Um, Anything that has some kind of visual support as well, I think is just gives that extra help to students for Mm -hmm. the comprehension. Yeah, and we think about schema building and um, connecting to our prior knowledge. So when we can add those visuals, we're providing more context. And so the words that they're going to hear or see the meaning becomes more evident because of the clues that they can uh, find in the pictures. Mm -hmm. So speaking of anticipating or building on prior knowledge, why don't we start off with talking about some pre-reading strategies? Fantastic. I have a favorite one, 
and it did not become my favorite until I encountered it at a workshop where um, the workshop facilitator actually gave us a set of words from a book for adults. And so I thought that was so good. I can't remember the book that was she was recommending, but she had about 20 to 30 words, including some character names. And we had to sort of look through these different words, sort them. I think they were cut up in an envelope as a group. And then we had to predict what the story was going to be about. So we told a little story and predicted. And then after we, we found out what the book was. So creating that kind of... Um, aura of mystery, prediction, high engagement. I, it was a great pre-reading activity and I have used it with my students. I've never actually used 20 to 30 words. I'll often pick five or eight um, images or words and then have them um, do their prediction and actually I never use character names. So Maybe I could include that, but that's definitely a favorite. Um, actually, that is one of the ones I have listed on mine as well, the making predictions based on vocabulary. I love that strategy. And just for the reasons you've explained, I usually tend to pick between, on the low end, maybe 10 and then maybe up to 15 words. Oh, okay. I always make sure that I include uh, familiar and friendly words. So some words mm -hmm. I know for sure. The students will already know. I always throw in two or three difficult words that I know they won't know mm. and that they have to look up in the dictionary. And that way, I hope to set them up so when they encounter that word in the text, they know what it means. Mm. And then I do the exact same thing as you said. Have them look at the words, group them. Can you make a prediction? And then orally, everybody tells a little story about what they think it's going to be about. And as you've said, it creates curiosity and then the students want to find out so what's the purpose well now here's your purpose so you've made a prediction let's read the story or the text whatever it may be and you're going to confirm your prediction make some changes to your prediction is what you thought was going to happen did it happen how was it different but it truly does generate a lot of interest mm -hmm. as well as the vocabulary piece is helpful too to get them set up Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that strategy. Is there mm -hmm. a name for that? I just call, I don't know if there's a fancy name. Mm -hmm. I call it making predictions based on vocabulary. I will say um, that one, and I'm going to talk about this later, but one of the resources and series of workshops I attended many years ago in my teaching was around a resource called Reading 44. Oh, from North Van. So, 44 is North Vancouver School District, number 44. And they came up with this project, Reading 44. And then we, in my homeschool district, which is south of Vancouver at that time, we had a workshop in service on this. And it was laid out so beautifully with all these fantastic reading strategies. Uh, it really broadened my knowledge as a teacher of reading and really supported my move towards teaching reading strategies more thoughtfully. And that was the first place I encountered this strategy, but I can't remember if they gave it a fancier name. And the, I believe the resource also exists in French. Yes. So the 
master document, like the big book, if you will, that describes all the strategies, how you use them, when you might use them, the purpose, the grade level is in English. And then they published uh, a separate, smaller, coil-bound book, which we have at our school, which is the French graphic organizers that go with. So although the book explains the strategy to the teacher in English, you can also access French language organizers that go with the strategies that require, not all require, a, a graphic organizer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you have another pre-reading strategy? You want yes, to talk about? I want to talk about two more that I okay. use pretty regularly. So these are, these are my big three. So that was the okay. first one that we shared. The second one is the picture walk. Mm. So simple, right? So this works, I use with picture books and albums and that sort of thing where um, basically I'll take the book and if you imagine, when I was teaching in a different school, I actually had a carpet mm -hmm. for grade six late immersion and we would have carpet time. I don't have that in my current classroom, but going through the picture book, teacher is turning the page and I'm absolutely silent. The class is silent. And I'm saying, just look at the pictures and ask yourself what's happening here. And so I go through the pages, turn the pages, and I make sure every student sees every picture. And then we close the book. And then with a the partner, you talk about what's the story about. So they're simply making a prediction based on the pictures in the book. Mm. And then afterwards, you read the story aloud, or I usually use it for a read aloud time strategy. And then, again, like our previous one we discussed, we go back and um, confirm or change the predictions we've made. That's interesting. I have used something that I thought you were going to describe it, a slightly different strategy, mm -hmm. um, which I would probably call picture walk too, but I put students in AB partners and um, I'll show the first page of a book. The B's close their eyes, the A's have their eyes open. I show it for a few seconds, then I close the book and the A's have to describe to the B's. Love it. And then we switch, so the A's close their eyes, the B's are looking, I show the next page, you know, for a few seconds, close the book, now the B's have to describe to the A's what they've just seen. And we go on, I don't do every page in the book, but then they've had practice um, telling. And then what I find funny is once I do the read aloud, Sometimes the partners will accuse each other of not having described the pictures properly. So I find those little disputes quite amusing. I, what I love about that strategy is, yes, it's picture walk, but it's really using it thoughtfully for language learners because now everybody's engaged, everybody's speaking. It's, yeah, I love that. It takes it to a whole new level, which I will definitely do. My other favorite pre-reading is anticipation guide. So in this one, whether you're reading fiction or nonfiction, it doesn't matter. I pre-read what we're going to be using in class and I prepare three to five statements, true and false. The students read those statements before we get into the text and they have to say this statement is true or the statement is false. And then we read the text and then they have to go back and I'm going to say mark, entre guillemets, their work by either saying, oh, I had said this sentence was true and it's true and here's how I know. 
give evidence. And then the other one, oh, this is false. So what is actually the truth, the, the true sentence? So they have to write a new sentence. So, so it's making, anticipating the reading with some true and false, accessing some prior knowledge they may have, and then confirming that during and after reading. That's called Anticipation Guide, and I know I got that one from Reading 44. I love that. I have heard of the Anticipation Guide. It is not something in my repertoire because, honestly, I've always thought, oh, it's so much effort to make, even though it's a few sentences, it's so much effort to just do these, like, true, false things, and they just circle it. But what you're doing with it, where they have to then return to the Anticipation Guide, and confirm or deny mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> whatever, or say that it was true or false, was their hypothesis or prediction right? Mm -hmm. um, and then to give evidence or to rephrase the sentence so that it's true, to me, that is the beauty of the thing. Right. It yeah. would be, you're right, if you were just doing this as a quick pre-reading strategy and you're putting in the time and effort to come up with three to five sentences, prepare the little document, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I get that, the amount of prep versus how much time it takes. Mm -hmm. But actually this one I've got in my column of my notes that says it's a pre and during reading strategy. Yeah. And because, after. It kind yeah. of takes you all the way through. If they just don't pay attention to it for more than a few seconds and just circle, circle, but if they have to return to it and do something with it, then also I think that's a kind of scaffolding for them um, in terms of the language of the story because they have to understand those three to five sentences in order to say whether it's vrai ou faux. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. So that's one that goes, like I said, from anticipatory like predictions um, into the during and after reading. So let's talk about during reading. I use a double entry journals and it takes me a long time to set this up with students so the left side of the column basically you have a notebook two columns you fold the page in half on the left I always have a what and on the right so what so quoi et and so on the left column we're going to summarize what's going on in the book or maybe copy a quotation and that can only be for summarizing on the left side. And on the right side, we're going to be connecting and sharing our thoughts. So over time, the hope is that um, summarizing skills improve. And that can be scaffolded by maybe putting post-it notes in a book, copy three keywords from the page onto your post-it, whatever, and then use those in your summary. But over time, the hope is that the response to the reading becomes much longer than the summary. But that's sort of a year-long uh, strategy that I go back to over and over again. That's a good one. And one I haven't used in a long time. It reminds me of a strategy used by Bruce Wellman and Laura Lipton. And it was it's called Here's What, So What, Now What? Oh, and they used it Ooh, in professional like development that. for confronting issues or problem solving. Uh, but I clearly see how, and I have used it as a reading strategy, as a reading organizer. Mm -hmm. So when I've done literature circles, 
I use the final word. Yes. Do you, you know that strategy? Yes. Please tell our, our listeners about final word. Okay. This is the best conversation strat- strategy, in my opinion, for responding to reading. This is how it works. Everybody has to come with a quotation from the passage that has been selected. Maybe have a backup quotation or two in case someone picks yours. Then if you are person A, we're numbered off as A, B, C, D, in the group, person A shares their quotation. They are not allowed to comment on it. They must read it, not say anything. They could read it twice so we all hear it really clearly. And then B, C, and D all have to comment on that quotation. No one is allowed to interrupt. Even person A, who has shared the quotation originally, is sitting on their hands, not allowed to say anything until everyone else has commented. And then it comes back to the original presenter of the quotation, and they have the final word. They share why they selected that quotation. And the richness of the conversation, even for the person who presented the quotation, they think it's obvious why this is an important quotation and to see other people take it in totally different directions. But it it is tried and true and it is my go-to. And it is from Laura Lipton, Bruce Wellman. Another one that I love for during during reading, after reading, uh, is making inferences and using thought and speech bubbles. Oh. And so this one I found works great no matter where your students are with their language Um, because I've used it fairly early in the year in grade six French late French immersion and then throughout the year essentially what is what the students have to do is select a part of the text as you're reading so you're you're taking a pause or you're finished reading you select select a part of the text select one character And then you do a little sketch of that character and you have to draw a thought bubble and a speech bubble. So what is the character saying? And so that may be copied verbatim from the text because you know what the character said. But what are they thinking at this time? And so sometimes if they don't have enough language, they could draw what the character is thinking. Or it might just be like a super simple, aïe, j'ai peur. Mm. Or as they have more language, they could do more. So it really show it's excellent for showing making inferences. So how they're getting beyond the level of the text and what do you think the character is thinking? That's one I've done with all kinds of um, different little short novels and stories with my students. And they engage with that one quite well. What I find interesting is... I feel like there's an assumption that we can make very easily when we have second language learners who don't have a ton of language. We think that the thinking level needs to be very simple because they don't have tons of language. But that's a very high level thinking with inferences, even though they don't have a ton of language yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's one of my favorites. Another strategy or another approach when I'm teaching reading or reading text with my students is I always make sure that we do multiple readings of the text. So there's always some element of rereading. And I think you might have a piece of 
research you wanted to share? Yeah, so um, in preparation for this episode, I pulled out John Hattie's book that our listeners might be familiar with. It's called Visible Learning. So I looked at the section on reading. His point, when he summarizes the chapter, the gist of it is, we can't assume that students are going to become great readers if we just have books around and if we're very incidental and not purposeful in our approach. So the high yield strategies, one of the top ones, actually it's tied for the top, is repeated readings. I'll just briefly mention the other ones that are get a really high score. Um, having a vocabulary program, so as we've alluded to, pulling out vocabulary, using phonics, it works. Uh, focusing on comprehension strategies, um, second and third chance reading programs like Reading Recovery. Well, I'm happy to see that the research supports the multiple rereadings mm -hmm. because I always wondered as a teacher doing multiple rereadings, I wondered, is this boring for my students? If they've seen the text once and now we have to reread it again and again and again and again. But I haven't had that experience and I think what helps with that is always setting up a purpose for the reading or doing just a slight tweak, something that's slightly different when they read it another time and it brings a certain level of novelty to the experience. So as simple as if it's something that I may model reading aloud or I have some, some of the texts I have have um, audio support so they hear the text being read and then they read with a partner to practice and then they can read it individually with a focused activity. So there's three times to read it. Um, I also find, um, like I said, setting a specific purpose for each time you go back to the text. Like the first time, maybe we're just trying to understand the general idea of beginning, middle, end. The second time, I want you to focus on this character. What are they doing? What are they saying? Another time we may go back and we're looking to, to do a vocabulary study. So setting it up so that there is a level of novelty um, has been helpful. I think that's such a great point because he does talk about repeated readings, but mm -hmm. how do you keep them engaged and interested? And I think that's exactly it, giving them a new purpose each time. I think that's wonderful. Another one of the texts, and we haven't talked about it yet, but something I love using is reader's theater. So a lot of the reading I do in grade six with my class is reader's theater or it'll be role play. But what I love about my class this year is I don't have to tell them when we're doing reader's theater or role play. They'll read through a text once and then they say, now I'm going to be this person. Now you're going to be, they'll just switch roles and they read it again. Then they switch roles and they read it again. And this can just go on and on. And so I don't have students coming up to me saying, Madame, j'ai fini, nous avons fini. Because they just know, okay, so if we read through it one time, now we're going to read it again. We're going to change roles and we're going to do it differently. And they they really enjoy it. So that's really And helpful. I think there's tons of learning too, like and modeling, because no class is going to have everyone at the same level. So They'll hear a slightly more proficient reader modeling um, reading with intonation and, you know, maybe creating a voice for the character. Mm -hmm. And so then by switching roles, 
they can now imitate or do their own take on it. So yeah, they really seem to enjoy it. So that's, that's been really, wonderful. it takes a lot of social organization as well. When they're doing readers theater, I love it when they start like moving chairs and furniture and trying to improvise props with just the objects in the classroom. I, I find know. that really fun. I know you come around and there's like bits of paper and I ask, what are you doing here? And they're like, oh, we're preparing the chicken that goes on the plate or whatever <laughs> it might be. Yeah, they're getting something ready. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, during reading, another important piece for me is always doing the vocabulary work with it. So um, I like a couple of strategies um, are simply, you know, doing word detective. I think I've talked about that before in another episode. Can you remind me? I'll just yeah. summarize it really quickly yeah. is picking a word from the text, only one word, but mm. then um, really exploring that word fully. We've even talked about it with your flashcards. So what's the definition mm -hmm. of the word? How do I use it in a sentence? Can I illustrate the word? Can I give the opposite of the word? Can I give a synonym for the word? Um, and so doing a deep dive into the, the vocabulary that way. I also like doing a 5-3-1. And this, oh, works, this works with uh, with the placemat. Okay. Whether we talk about it in our graphic organizer episode. Um, individually, students choose five great words from the text. And oh. I use the word like les mots fantastiques, les mots merveilleux. Like yeah. not just any old five words. They've got yeah. to really stand out to you for yeah. some reason. And then with your partner, um, you narrow your list down to three words. And then together as a whole group, you got to pick the one great word oh, to share with the class. I love that. I believe that actually is another Lipton Wellman. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're, again, that's the beauty of these kinds of strategies. They work in so many ways, right? Mm -hmm. But this one I like for, for vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that they have to come to consensus. I'd like to, now we're kind of going through this reading process, share some of my favorite post-reading strategies. The most recent one, just in the last 10 days that my students have finished, is their story circle. And uh, I had the students read fairy tales uh, over the last month. So they were that's another thing I love about fairy tales is that the students know the story already in English. So that so helps their comprehension of the story, but also this fantastic um, series from Chenelier has, they're so beautifully illustrated. Oh, the, um, the, the, the Contabule maybe is okay. what it's called. Yeah. So like graphic novel. Style. It's like a graphic novel style and the illustrations are so fantastic, really engaging. And the kids love the illustrations. So they're the, you know, the, Classic titles, Jack et le Haricot Magique, um, Hansel et Gretel, um, Cendrillon, Cendrillon les, uh, les Trois Petits Cochons. So, um, the story circle is a um, final project for the story. And what the crux of it is, is a story summary where the students have to um, identify the setting. And then they have to, really it's taking a deep dive into the characters of the story and retelling the story's events, but through the lens of character. So picking two, three, or four characters from the story and asking yourself, um, what does the character want? What does the character do? 
and what is the end result. And then for each character, they ask themselves those, those three questions. And then on this large piece of paper, we draw a series of circles. I've actually already made a template for it because I don't want to spend too much time having the kids draw these circles. In the very center, small circle. So it's circle, circle, small to large, and they're all drawn within each other. Is concentric the word I want to use there? Yes, concentric okay. circles, yes. So in the tiny center circle, you have the title and the author. In the second circle, you have the setting. In the third circle, you name your characters. And in that third circle is where you divide the circle into three or four parts, and then each oh. character gets their own piece of the circle. And then the next three circles, so if we picked uh, Le Petit Chaperon Rouge, mm -hmm. and you have Le Loup is your character, then you have to say, what is, you just write a sentence, what does he want, what does he do, what is the result? And then you do the same thing for Grand-Mère, and then you do mm -hmm. the same thing for, in this series they call her Ruby, Le Petit Chaperon Rouge, okay. and you do the same thing for her. Yeah. Then the final circle at the largest one at the outside of the circle is, is there a moral, a lesson mm. or something that mm -hmm, we're trying mm -hmm. to teach young mm -hmm. children mm -hmm. from, from this story. And um, I think I've seen these posted in your classroom on the wall and they look beautiful. They do look beautiful. I will say this. I'm kind of addicted to how beautiful they look in the end. Yeah. But never mind how they look. The process is really yes. good too. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't trying to diminish no, the process. I, I just, yeah, yeah. But I worry about that. Sometimes I think to myself, am I so obsessed with how beautiful they look? Is it, but is it a meaningful activity? So it's something I think I've it's wondered myself. super meaningful. So, yeah. so we've just done them. Um, and uh, this is something I learned in my teaching in the first two or three years of my teaching, I got it somewhere. Mm -hmm. I can't even remember where. Mm -hmm. If I try Googling it, I don't really see anything like it online. I haven't seen it actually anywhere else. I know. And so I have my original notes from way back when. And then I've kept some student samples. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just something I keep going back to. And we just did it recently. And the kids did a great job. And they really enjoy it. They seem to really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um. And then the other kinds, so that's what I wanted to sort of describe in depth, but then the other kinds of things, what I like to do is provide also, on that one, everybody did the story circle. I'll do often like what choice activity, like a tic-tac-toe, mm. where there's six or eight choices of things. So you pick what you want to do. Do you want to do like um, a movie trailer for the book? Do you want to do a plot diagram or a plot profile for the story? Do you want to create a comic strip where the character, one of the characters or characters go on a new adventure afterwards or um, do um, a character study where you talk about the a character's personality and physical description, but you also give evidence from the story to support that. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting with that is when I think of my own personal reading habits and viewing habits, because they are related um, I love to talk about what I've read with other people and to go back and revisit and consider how is this character, how is that character, and who's my favorite character and why, and maybe they're not the good character, but still my favorite, and what made them compelling, that kind of thing. So I think that post-reading um, 
is really, really valuable and maybe something I don't do enough of hmm. when with my students. So. so those are just some of my preferred, my favorite um, kinds of strategies that I use before, during, and after reading. I've mentioned a few of my favorite resources along the way, and I thought I would just also you know, just summarize and maybe clarify for our listeners if they're looking for the, a resource or some resources for ideas or where do we pull our ideas from. I know sometimes over the years, like I said, the story circle, you get this idea, you start using it, and who knows where it ever came from originally. Then talking to you today, we realized Bruce Wellman and Laura Lipton strategies we're using. I've already mentioned Reading 44 from North Vancouver School District. You can purchase their resources if you Google that. It'll take you to their district website and they sell their materials. Another fantastic is Reading Power by Adrian Gear, available both in English and it's been translated into French. Mm-hmm. She's a Vancouver educator. So for mm-hmm. our listeners from different provinces and different countries around the world, uh, I believe she is quite well known in um, teaching and learning in various places, but she's local, which is lovely. And the fact that it's available in French is fantastic as well. Another great resource is called Effective Literacy Practices in FSL, French Second Language. This is published by Pearson Education in Canada. And um, for those of you teaching core French or any kind of French immersion, um, it is just a super accessible, easy read, not a long read. It's very practical and it has some great graphic organizers and great ways of coming at reading for students who are learning an additional language. That's been authored, that has several authors, but one of the authors is Wendy Carr, again, who we've both worked with is a local um, champion of French language education, um, but also Bev Anderson, Cynthia Lewis, Michael Salvatore and Miles Turnbull, who are well known in Canada as um, language educators. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. there's lots in this episode. You shared a lot of super valuable resources. Thank you for that. Some of which I'm familiar with, others that I am not, I haven't, I've heard about, but I haven't read myself. Um, and I feel like there are so many things here that I can put into my day plans for next week and week plans and um, just what a rich foundation for a literacy program really. Mm-hmm. Yes I'm looking forward to it as we were talking today I made some notes I'm looking down at my notebook <laughs> of the things again I can't state enough um, how valuable our conversations are. I hope that our listeners find little helpful nuggets or things that move their teaching forward or they want to try in their classrooms because even talking with you after all these years, I always come away with a new idea. So thank you so much. And Mm -hmm. I know next week my students will benefit from these changes. Mm -hmm. Likewise. And I love revisiting and I love it sometimes too when we talk about a strategy and describe it. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, you have a different way of doing that. And I have a different way. I really come away with a much deeper understanding of why certain um, pedagogical practices are so valuable and with a greater breadth of strategies. So I really appreciate these conversations as well. 
Merci beaucoup, madame. Merci. À la prochaine. À la prochaine.